Okay. Thanks for joining me for this show today. This is a really interesting show. We're going to be talking about satanic ritual abuse, and we're going to talk about uh, the Mormon Church. And we're not going to say that the Mormon Church has anything to do specifically with satanic ritual abuse, but there is a case going on right now in Utah which involves uh, exactly that uh, with people connected to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I have somebody joining me today with a really interesting story. Jenny Marie Hatch is joining me, and she is a faithful member of the Mormon Church, but has a history and actually has uh, stories of her own about abuse, uh, which she's uh, we're going to be able to talk about mm, uh, around the edges, at least. We have to be careful about exactly what we say. But uh, Jenny wants uh, to let people know who might be going through the same things that she went through, you know, uh, what they can do for themselves. And we want to talk a little bit as well. We started talking, Jenny and I, as a result of this case in Utah, we're both looking into it. Jenny, Jenny Marie Hatch is uh, is a mother of five, new grandmother, lives in Boulder, Colorado, and she writes a blog and has a podcast, and she talks about natural health and uh, medical freedom and family rights, and uh, she's particularly interested now in this case in Utah, which I've been talking about, which involves because he outed himself uh a district attorney in the area david levitt uh in that and we only say his name because uh he said that he's the subject of this investigation there are other people who are mentioned in this victim statement which both jenny and i have seen which we won't mention yet but there are other prominent people named um that you know would be very interesting to people so we've been looking into that together because that we started a conversation and uh, and jenny i wanted to she wanted to come on my show to talk uh, about well we, why don't we start the discussion it's a long enough introduction hey jenny thanks for joining me on this show thanks nathan i followed your work for a long time and i know that you have a deep understanding of satanic ritual abuse and I trust you to do a good job with this interview. And so I'm excited to be here and be sharing my thoughts. I have very decided opinions on all of the topics that are kind of being bandied around in the media right now, particularly on this Utah case, but just around ritual abuse in general. And because of my lived experience, I feel like my perspective might be helpful for other victims. Okay, yeah, and so that makes this uh, like a really important message to get out for people who might be victims of this kind of abuse. And yeah, I do have some history with it myself. I mean, my thoughts are, is that it's a very difficult topic to get into because a lot of the time, including uh, in your case, right, it, rec it, it involves recovered memories and those are always going to be questioned by people and it involves usually no evidence usually that can be produced to by 
people who have been victims of this kind of abuse to show that um, anything actually happened to them. So it's a difficult topic, which is easy to dismiss for a lot of people. Uh, it was called the Satanic Panic in the 1980s, and it was called that in relation to a case which had some real evidence to it, the McMartin Preschool case, uh, where they actually found tunnels, you know, underneath the school, like some of these children talked about. But it's a topic that's been dismissed as, uh, you know, they made up something called false uh, false memory syndrome. Or yes, and the false... The False Memory Syndrome organization was started by a bunch of pedophile families whose children were outing them. And so they hired this researcher, Elizabeth Loftus, to write the definitive book on false memory syndrome. She actually just recently testified on behalf of Ghislaine Maxwell during the Maxwell trial as an expert in false memories. And it's all a fraud. It was, it was put together, this whole thing was put together by these pedophile families. And um, so... I, I'm passionate about it because my own mother claimed that I was suffering from false memory syndrome when I started to remember the things that my father had done to me. And so I, I'm passionate about the subject because I want other victims to know that you can heal, you can have a happy life, you can get to the other side and come out as a winner and live beautiful, happy moments in your life when you may feel engulfed by darkness and all of the, the side effects of this the sin, these crimes, you can find health and healing. And that is my witness to anybody listening. And it's it's all over my blog. I'm at healthyfamilies.life and also Jenny Hatchett Substack. And I am making a commitment to do a daily Substack on the Utah case until every single pedophile in the state of Utah is brought to justice. And I'm going to do that daily with video multimedia, interviews on podcasts like this, any medium I can use. And I was the one who recently got my hands on all the documents and I published them on my blog. And I did it for the victims. Yeah, that's right. Both of us have gotten our hands on these documents uh, from the Provo Police Department, which involve a case of a therapist from... 2014 is when the charges were dismissed, but, and I haven't had a chance to review all of the documents yet. I didn't share them myself, but you have shared them on your blog and say the exactly your Substack is it jennyhatch.substack.com? It is. Okay. Jennyhatch.substack.com. And you know, you guys know where I am. I'm lifttheveil.substack.com. We're both on there. And I shared uh, a link to your blog so that people would be able to download those documents. And, uh, and it's a lot of information to go through. And one thing I appreciate about you taking the chance and sharing it, because, you know, some of the documents say you're not supposed to share it, is that the news media gets their hand on these documents and they get to read it and then they get to selectively report on what's inside of the documents and I could do the same thing. I could selectively uh, choose from parts of the documents to report to people, but really it requires if people are genuinely interested in seeing, you know, what, what is going on with this case, they'd have to pour through these documents themselves. And there are actually a lot of videos connected to it. 
uh, which may be published later. So um, I it, it uh, thanks for having the courage to share that information out there. I guess you're not worried about uh, repercussions as far no, as no. I I have had so many threats in the past that I'm past caring what happens to me. And that doesn't mean I don't want to live. I do. I have a wonderful life. But as a victim, you get to the place where you've been gaslit so much and dismissed and mocked and made fun of and threatened that you feel like you just have nothing to lose. And that's where I'm at. I'm like, we need some sunshine. There have been enough years that have passed by with these criminals getting away with their many crimes, some against their own children. And I just think sunlight is the best disinfectant. And it's just healthy to just have that investigation out in the public. I was thrilled when over 400 people over the last 36 hours went and downloaded it. Because that tells me, number one, people are very interested in this. And my work is very shadow banned. I'm still completely shadow banned on Twitter. Uh, it's hard to find my stuff on the Internet. And it has been for a long time because I talk about these things. And yet 400 people managed to find that and grab it, and I encouraged all of them to download it, put it on thumb drives, email it around to their networks, spread it around so that those who would intimidate and threaten and censor are, are absolutely frustrated in their ability to tamp this information down. It needs to get out to the public. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you, and that's the only way, you know, it, it's, first of all, it's a lot of information that's uh that's involved with this case including the video evidence which yeah i just got my hands on and it's just hours and hours and hours so i would i don't even think i'll have the time to go through it all myself so it requires people looking into it it requires a little bit of a community effort and we're actually kind of you know working together in the sense that you gave me a story about david levitt and i made a video about it and uh so, you know, it, it helps for other people to get eyes on this stuff because there are a lot of people who are interested in this topic, for sure. I know because I've reported on it before, and there is a lot of public interest in it. It still is very controversial. And you've had, I guess, you've dealt with threats for talking about what uh, you believe happened to you. And I've had all kinds of problems. Every time I talk about this subject, it seems to result in something bad happening. Um, so that's why I'm a little shy about publishing those documents myself. But um, but I, I think people deserve to see it. I mean, people need to know. You know, I, I feel there are stories people have told me about what happened to them and that I think are really valuable stories that people are afraid to share, you know, where people have been come on my show and there are people who have come on my show to tell stories about what happened to them who've then turned around and said, oh, you need to take that video down. You know, I'm getting threats. I'm, this is happening. So it's, it's very hard for the information even to get out there. And it's very hard to represent yourself. I mean, <laughs> It's incredibly hard to represent yourself as a victim of or a survivor of ritual abuse because, like you say, has happened to you. You're mocked. You're ridiculed. They are there are entire campaigns that are waged against people like Fiona Barnett, who had a whole 
dossier published about her, which was full of false information, trying to debunk her. And uh, it's just, I mean, I can't imagine. So for you speaking out and saying, you know, that that these things happen to you, I mean, that takes a lot of courage. I, I don't know if Well, honestly, Nathan, when, when David uh, Levitt gave his presser the other day and claimed that the woman who had made these um, claims against her was mentally ill, that was when I made my decision to go all in. Because that is exactly what has been said about me by my family. Oh, she's just mentally ill. If she just would have been on the right doses of psychiatric meds, none of this would have happened. She's just crazy. Didn't happen. My dad was a patriarch in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So to many people in my faith, it's like he was, he was beyond the pale. There was no way, no possible way that he could even presume to do anything beneath the dignity of that calling and yet he's he's a pedophile and he died over a year ago and his death really kind of freed me and I've heard this from so many survivors that once a perpetrator dies it really helps you know them to just feel safer and better you know about everything but you're just you're just kind of stuck as a victim, because if you don't have that corroborating testimony from other victims and you're just standing there kind of like, okay, I know this happened to me. I've gotten support from other survivors and a couple of therapists, but you know, you're just standing there like all, all I have really and truly are my memories. Um, it's a very difficult position. And the passion, yeah. the passion of that Utah sheriff in Provo County who just said, how dare you? He said it twice. I, I was crying as he said it because I thought, here's a good man who's seen and heard the evidence and wants to bring people to justice. He wants justice. And I'm, I'm standing with him. Well, and David Levitt, I saw, because you posted it on your uh, Substack, I saw the latest press conference with David Levitt and he actually called Mike Smith the QAnon sheriff. So I was waiting for somebody to go there, and somebody did. I'd already seen somebody mention it on Twitter who was following the story and said, oh, well, I'm going to be skeptical because, you know, QAnon and people talk about, and it just has to do with that. But this case, you know, what I imagine is that they have several – uh, victims coming forward with similar stories of abuse. I mean, no, they said like, there was. They said there was over a hundred that came out no. just since the sheriff's presser. There's lots and lots of people coming forward. You know, if it was one or two or three, sure, but this is a hundred. Yeah, that's what they're saying. That they're saying that they've gotten, and this is, uh, and it involves, you know, a huge ring going on over the span of about 20 years, I guess, from 1990 to 2010 is the frame of time they're looking at. And then even before that, as far as official stories about satanic ritual abuse within the Mormon church, there was a study done by a bishop in the church where he interviewed people who claimed they were victims of ritual abuse within the church. And he you're referring at least you're referring to the Pace memo, Glenn Pace, 
who was the general authority. Yeah. He was actually in the, the presidency of the Young Men's Organization. And he interviewed over 100 people and then created a memo that, that got out and has been spreading around on the Internet now for, gosh, like at least 20 years and probably longer. Yeah, it, apparently the memo itself was published or was leaked in 1990 or 1991. So even uh, before the Internet, it was out there and now it's been getting around again. And it's basically a story that becomes similar where he said he talked to, I believe in the report, he says 60 different uh, victims who all had similar stories to where he had to believe that they were true stories you know and um, the things so... the things that I experienced Nathan were very similar to the things outlined in that memo and I have published that memo on my blog and my Substack. so if you haven't read it go check it out I was thrilled to find out just this week and I did not know this but the church itself back in the day held an internal in inquiry did an investigation and they came to believe that while there were members of the church who were using their, their Mormon faith to kind of cover for their Satanism, that it was not systemic in the church. And I like to believe that that's true. You know, maybe I'm naive, but I like to believe that that's true. And my own lived experience is that as my bishops and stake presidencies, presidencies have been involved in my personal walk with ritual and sexual abuse, they have been nothing but helpful as I have wended my way through my healing journey over the last 21 years. And I mean, competent, wonderful support from them. And so, you know, my lived experience is different than some of the other people out there who are hostile and angry towards their bishops, fellow members, and the people in this PACE memo who felt like they were not being listened to by their local leaders. And so, like I said, my hope with this show is that if there's anyone out there who's hearing about this story, who's all of a sudden feeling scared, nervous, overwhelmed, maybe you're weeping, maybe you feel suicidal, and you don't really understand where those feelings are coming from, I would love to use the rest of the show to talk about the kill switch. Would that be okay? Sure, yeah. I don't know if it'll, there might be more to talk about afterwards, but I definitely want to, we, we do want to talk about that. I mean, basically, it involves, like I said, one of the things that's difficult about ritual abuse is part of the abuse involves creating um, almost alternate personalities, you can say, or by making the person who's perpetrating something dissociate. It's uh, the part of what they call training involves making the person who's the target dissociate so that they don't have memories of what they've done, making them do something so terrible or making them or, or having them be the victim of something so terrible, some kind of uh, terrible sexual abuse, or uh, if they maybe are made to commit murder where they actually have no recollection of the events, and that's done deliberately, um, and 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 is one of the things. And then uh, ideas can also get implanted into these alternate personalities. And so, what you described to me 
happened to you is that you started to have memories what now it's about 20 years ago uh, where of things that happened to you that you had forgotten is that right yeah and and when I started to remember I was surrounded with suicidal feelings overwhelmed it's all I could think about and I had had several episodes of suicidal depression throughout my life the first was when I was 15 the second was when I was 21, and during that one I was hospitalized. And then my brother died in 2001, and around his death I had this other episode where I, again, was just engulfed with these suicidal feelings. And none of it made any sense because I had such a happy life. I had a great husband and all these beautiful little children, and my life was going well, and it was like, where is this coming from, you know? And so I was confused. And as I worked through my feelings, I started to remember, and I started to remember sexual abuse first. I didn't remember the ritual stuff until 2012. And every time I've rem remembered and reconciled something, I always had the feeling of like, okay, it's done. I, I fixed it. It's over. Time to move on. And that's happened to me now for 20 years, <laughs> every six months, every nine months, I reconcile something, something else. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm done. I'm good. It's time to move on. And then there's just something else there. And so that's how I've kind of worked my way, wended my way through these past 20 years of healing. But this suicidal stuff is diabolical because you have these thoughts and feelings and the perpetrators convince you. And this happens usually when you're a child under the age of eight. They convince your body, your mind, your, your soul that if you remember what happened to you, that you need to kill yourself. And they call it a fail switch because that's their sort of protection. You know, if this person were ever to remember what we did to them, they could tell. And so they don't want anybody telling. So they have covered so many victims with this layer of trauma that causes the forgetfulness, that causes the, the memories to recede. They may have symptoms, of the things that happened to them, you know, cyclical depressions, mania, schizophrenic episodes, just all kinds of things that can happen that indicate something's off with this person's brain. But that whole suppression thing to me is the most diabolical side of ritual abuse. Because you've got all these perpetrators out there being all cocky, confident that all their little underlings are never going to remember anything they did. And they've got their little drones and their, it looks like uh, David Lovett's wife was very interested in learning how to control children. And, and one of the things that's talked about in one of these events, one of these witness statements is that she was very interested in learning how to control her own children. That to me is, is the heart of what I felt growing up in my own home was this overwhelming need to control me to be this perfect person with a perfect exterior and making perfect choices to prove to everybody who's watching that I had the most perfect parents. And in the midst of all that perfection, there was a lot of crazy. And so my feeling is my lived experience, my life is a witness to what happened to me when I was a child growing up in my parents' home. And I want to reach a hand of fellowship to anybody else who's, who's engulfed with the suicidal stuff 
the thing that helped me the most was to think it through and just say, these are not my thoughts. These, these things that are in my head did not come from me. It came from somebody else. It was done to me. And once you can kind of logically think that through, it's so much easier to deal with it. Because it's like, okay, these aren't my thoughts. Get out. You don't belong here. I have a happy life. I'm going to reconcile this stuff. I'm going to figure out what happened to me. I'm going to figure out who did it. And then I'm going to try to bring them to justice. And that is a much healthier place to be than dope to the nines on psychiatric meds, rocking in the corner in a straitjacket in a mental hospital. So my message to anybody who's listening, you can heal. I've healed. I'm healing. And I'm living a beautiful life. And I am not going to allow those who did these things to me call the shots on what my life looks like or what it is. So many people in my life would just say, dismiss me as mentally ill. And it's too easy. It's just too simplified. I've had too many symptoms of distress to say, she, she had wonderful parents and grew up in this beautiful home and this is just mental illness. Yeah, excuse me. That, that's not going to be how you define me. I know what happened to me. And I know who did it. And so... I will go forward. I hope others will go forward. And if anybody wants to come on my podcast at some future point and share your story, share what you're remembering, need just a pat on the back, I am here for you. And let's put these pedophiles, these Satan-worshipping evil people in prison. Honestly, I would like to see a death penalty invoked for anybody who rapes a child. You rape a child, you die. This would do a couple of things. It would send a message to the victims. We know what this has done to you. This has ruined your life. And it would send a message to anybody who's a MAP, you know, a minor attracted person or someone who gets into kids. If you do this, you do this at the risk of losing your own life. I think if we could have it that cut and dried in our legal system, that would have a profound effect on this whole pedophile, pedophile culture that we've got going on in America. And I'd like to see it happen. As far as the death penalty goes, that's a controversial thing. Is that Does that reconcile? I know there are religious people who believe in the death penalty, but does that reconcile with Mormon faith and everything, that it's okay to take a life in certain, certain situations? Or Well, I wouldn't say that all Mormons feel that way. I don't even know that it's doctrine. But... We believe in an afterlife. And I say, let's put, the, let's put the people out of their misery. These are miserable people. Let's send them to the world of spirits where they can be ministered to or straight to hell if that's where they belong. Spirit prison is what we call hell in Mormondom. You know, they do not deserve to live. And these, these people who are the, the next layer of evil with the ritual stuff, this is a layer that just guts me because it's so intentional. You know, I do think there is a line of demarcation between someone who's just caught up in family pattern, sexual abuse, the child who grows up in a home who thinks, well, this is just what we do, you know, or I've even heard Catholic priests say this, you know, this is what we do. You know, they didn't know it was wrong. And someone who is, I mean, I spent the morning, Nathan, reading, Witness statement number two. I thought witness, witness statement number three was bad. But that witness statement number two, it just blew my brains out. I read for a couple of hours and then I had to stop. 
And it, it really reconciles so much of what we heard from the email drops around the Hillary Clinton scandals, the whole frazzle drip thing. You mentioned QAnon. You know, there are people out there, disinformation experts in the form of Brandy Zadrozny, who have written the definitive articles debunking, they love to use that word, debunking Q. And it's like, no, no. I watched the drops in real time. I watched the proofs that came out on President Trump's Twitter feed. And there was a whole lot of there there. They called Jeffrey Epstein. They called uh, Keith Raniere and Nexium. They called Ghislaine Maxwell, you know, predictively saying these people were going to go down. And then they did. So don't tell me Q was a big fat nothing burger because it wasn't. But I know it's controversial. So if, if David Levitt thinks it's helpful to call Sheriff Mike a Q person, well, Rock on, David. That might come back to bite you. Well, you know, as far as QAnon goes, yeah, I've had my own issues with it before. It was never my thing, but they did talk about things. Uh, one of the things about it was they talked about things that were really true. Certainly in QAnon, they were talking about Jeffrey Epstein uh, before uh, the whole world found out about Jeffrey Epstein when the story came out and, uh, so it did have, you know, there is some information in there. It's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting, the relationship between um, QAnon and, uh, and people who talk about um, this topic, basically, and then other topics like it. Now, you, now, you're, now um, you're saying there's a difference between just what happens within the family and what happens in terms of an organized way. And this victim statement from this case in Utah talks about organized uh, satanic ritual abuse, not just involving the family, but involving a larger group of people, in this case connected to the satanic church or the Church of Satan, um, allegedly. And so you yourself, I know there's not much we can talk about specifically about uh, what happened to you, but you yourself experienced it uh, where there was actually a community of uh, people involved in this, not just within your own family. Is that correct? Or can you say that? Yeah, I think I can comfortably say that. I mean, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, in the same Mormon congregation as Mitt Romney. He left on his Mormon mission the year I was born in 1968. His parents and my parents were good friends. Uh, we all know that the Satanic Temple is in downtown Detroit. And there are people there who openly practice sat Satanism. They call themselves Luciferians and they worship Satan openly. But then I believe there's another group that is tied to kind of the power centers in politics and in business and really in every industry, where if you want to get to a certain level, for example, in the arts or in music, uh, you have to be connected to some of these networks. And so I think my parents really wanted to be a part of the kind of the movers and shakers and really perhaps didn't know what they were getting themselves into when they sort of started rubbing shoulders with these people. But I think they very quickly probably got sucked in and uh, found themselves in a very compromised situation. And in that regard, I do have some empathy 
for someone like David Levitt, because if it's true that this is multi-generational for him and some of the other people in the, in the state of Utah who've come up in these families and experienced this torture from their own parents or relatives, um, you know, where's the line of demarcation between this person has free will and they're making their own choices and then this person is so compromised, is so um, under the thumb of the people above them that they have no, no more freedom to do anything except what their handlers want them to do. I don't know what that line is. I just know for me, I wanted to be a chain breaker in my own family in terms of just the sexual abuse. And then the ritual stuff, I, I like to think I didn't do any of that with my own family. My kids all called me a control freak growing up, which is very common in, uh, in survivor circles. You know, we do tend to be very controlling and protective of our own bodies. And, you know, obviously I'm a, I'm a health freedom activist and I feel incredibly passionate about moms having complete autonomy over their bodies and their own minds while they're pregnant and breastfeeding and taking care of their babies. So I'm into home birth and I promote natural healing. But, you know, this systemic thing that's community-wide that in these documents, these test, you know, testament, testimonies from the victims, um, we are seeing claims of politicians and lawyers and judges and police being a part of this Utah cabal and covering for each other for a long time, decades. And that's what the sheriff's office is trying to expose. And it, you know, you have to ask yourself, how, how can they do this? Well, I think they need a divine intervention and just a lot of people to recognize that it's true. And this is real. This is what happened. And so that's why I shared the documents. Cause I think those witness testimonies are inc incredibly powerful and they stand on their own merit. We don't need some journalist explaining to us what was in those documents. Yeah, I agree with that. <clears throat> and uh, it's true what is talked about in those documents is a network. And it's just not the first time I've heard it. There are so many different uh, cases, um, you know, whether you go back to McMartin Preschool or what happened at the Presidio or the Franklin Credit Union scandal, or th what the kids say happened to them in Hampstead, England. You know, every single one of these cases, or even what somebody told me about a, a small town, um, is that uh, there's a network of powerful people and some powerful people in real significant positions. And um, I don't know, I, I really don't want to say about David Levitt. I haven't seen his name in the documents. It's just he said he's the one named in the documents. So I haven't even run into David Levitt actually being in there. But he said. No, he is. He, he is. He's in wit yeah. witness statement number three, specifically okay. by name. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I have to see what it is that he said to have uh, done. And I don't want to say one way or another that, you know, he's 100% guilty. I know that I caught him in a lie already. We have, we know that he's also being very disrespectful at a minimum of this uh, person who came forward, who's, I guess, the author of the victim statements uh, by calling her over and over again, tragically mentally ill. And uh, I'm curious 
where things are going to go. You know, these things tend to get covered up because of the networks involved. They tend to get covered up. You know, I heard, I hear now the FBI is involved in this case, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> uh, I would tend to think, you know, it's not necessarily a good thing because they're good at covering things up too. The case um, can be but, made that that's what they do. They had a guy yeah. named Ted Gunderson. He's dead now, but he used to go around the country whenever there was a kid who disappeared and the mom, there was always a mom and then a local journalist who were trying to get justice. And Ted would show up, flash his FBI badge and say, okay, FBI here, we're taking over. And then he would do nothing, absolutely nothing. If the mom or the journalist got too loud, making too many waves, uh, some of them disappeared and again, did nothing. If anybody out there can find one person that Ted Gunderson put in prison, I would like to know about it because I spent some quality time trying to figure that out. And I'm friends with Barbara Hartwell, and she I had her on my podcast a couple of times years ago, and she said the same thing. He's just a fake. His, his videos that are out there, you know, claiming he's the expert on Satanism, no, he's just, he, he provided cover for them. And... We need to understand that to these people, their number one rule, it's like Fight Club, there is no Satan, you know. So their whole thing is, number one, there's no Satan. So if there's no Satan, how can there possibly be a bunch of people who worship him? You know, so their, their number one thing is, no, we don't exist. It does not exist. And then they've got these fixers, and some of them have been tied to the FBI or claim to be part of the FBI. So no, that does not comfort me to hear that they're coming in to help. I think the Utah law enforcement is perfectly capable of bringing these people to justice. And if we can get enough just regular people understanding the truth, then I believe the legal system is capable of, of trying to convict. And, and let's let the victims have their day in court. This is what they're being denied. And when I read that, that David Hamblin was trying to get his, his record's expunged. And then I read witness statement number three. Oh, good Lord. Well, good Lord. Yeah, the name you just mentioned is the one that the news doesn't want to say because the charges got dropped. And he's the one who was the subject of this case. And, uh, and he, it was on the news before I even had the documents. He confessed in either one of these videos or one of the documents. He confesses to where he said the words, I saw it on the news. So this is, but he said the words, I'm sorry, I raped you. So these charges were dropped against him, but he is literally, as far as I can tell, he's a confessed rapist. And I think that involved specifically his family. So um, he should. Uh, yeah, I don't know that he, he, his name necessarily should be out of the news. The, the news has chosen not to say his name. But they also interviewed uh, another uh, victim of his, a man, who said that he went to see him because he was referred by the church and to cure him of his homosexuality. And then instead of curing him, he hypnotized him and then sexually abused him. That's what this one victim says of the, of the, the name you said, the David Hamblin, right? And so um, that case de definitely seems, 
it it should be somewhat suspicious that that case was ever dropped based on the information in the documents and it that the information that was available at the time and then yes the news is now that he's trying to have those records expunged but they're not doing that because now it turns out that he's a, he's currently a subject of this investigation basically yeah right? and, and god bless the sheriff for opening it back up it was dismissed without prejudice which meant they could open it up at any time and he did knowing full well the risk that he was taking about all the things we've seen you know just it's almost like all of these elites just rose up and were like what what are you doing you can't do that you know no we have laws for a reason and victims deserve to have their day in court. And as I said, sunshine is the best disinfectant. So go to my blog, healthyfamilies.life. Read the documents for yourself. You know, if you think you can stomach it, go read them. And then tell me there's nothing there. Like I said, the witness statements stand on their own merits. So... I need, yeah, it, I need to run, Nathan. Do you want have any other last-minute questions? No, that's perfect. I think it was a great discussion. I hope that you got out the information that you were looking to get out to the public today. Yeah, just mostly to know that the documents are published. And uh, I feel like if somebody wants to come after me and try to sue me or uh, any sort of retribution, I will immediately publish what they did. I'll report it to the police, my local police. If they think they can come mess with me or mess with my family, you know, for doing that, uh, come at me, bro. Come at me. If you think you can get away with it. There is this thing called the Streisand effect. And so if somebody tries to sue me for legally obtaining those documents and then publishing them on my blog, have at it. You know, I'll meet you. Yeah. In, I'll meet you in court and you can explain why you felt the need to uh, to keep those documents under wraps. I'm not afraid of you. Well, I really appreciate your bravery, and I appreciate your bravery coming forward and for coming on my show. And we will leave everybody with that for today and go, like like she said, take a look at the documents yourself. Um, we'll see if more stuff will be published. Uh, there is some more video evidence that might be interesting. So we'll see what else comes out. If you'd like to support me, follow me on Substack, liftthevail.substack.com and uh, become a paid subscriber if you really support the work. Yeah, and right. the, the documents are pinned to the front of my blog, healthyfamilies.life, and the title of the post is No More Secrets. That's right, No More Secrets. Well, um, from your mouth to God's ears, you know, let's see. Yeah. Thank you, Nathan. I really appreciate having a chance to talk to you today. Great talking to you too, Jen. All right, we'll be in touch. Okay, take care. Yep, bye.